Hey guys, and welcome to Hunting Land, presented by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. If you'd like to stay up to date on hunting tactics, land management, land values, and land market dynamics, this is the podcast for you. This week's show is brought to you by Sun South. It's finally time to get back to game day and grilling, but you have to tackle projects on your property first. With John Deere equipment from Sun South, it's no sweat because you can get those projects done faster, more efficiently, and more affordably with 0% financing up to 72 months on select models. Plus, save 20% off select John Deere parts during our parts extravaganza sale. Get it done and get back in the game with SunSouth. Equipment for those that do. Some restrictions apply. See dealer for details. Offer expires September 30th, 2021. I'm your host, Joe Baia, and I'm here today with my co-host, Clint Flowers, as always. Today, we're going to be talking about a sore subject, and that's losing money. It seems like you could talk to somebody that's made millions of dollars, but they remember the ones they, they really <laughs> remember the money they lost, you know? Oh, yeah. That one time. Yeah. And yep. uh, we're going to be getting into a lot of the different ways we see people losing money uh, in a land sale. Hopefully, you won't have the same experience. But, man, I'm, uh, I'm pretty excited. I'm taking Friday off. Going to make a long Labor Day weekend out of it. And, uh, Gonna get to my property and get on the tractor, get a little tractor therapy going. Y'all, y'all started uh, working on your place yet? Getting ready for the fall? Yeah, we've um, mainly focused on you know getting things limed while we could between all the the rainstorms. The summer drought has not happened this year the way that uh, we anticipated. So we've been been getting that ready, been getting some perimeter bush hogging and roads and that kind of stuff, getting the the edges knocked off a little bit. But other than that, we're just waiting for a little little time and cooler weather to get rolling on the plots yeah i know i saw we got a little bit of a cool snap rolling in this weekend i'm pretty excited about that and uh, we're gonna get up there and and just keep making more habitat keep making the place better we're gonna talk a little bit about aesthetics a little bit later but let's let's jump into the top ways you can lose money selling land and get into the don'ts the things you don't want to do Clint and i are going to dive deep into that but before we get there let's go check in and get another current timber market update joining us today is jonathan smith the executive director of Timbermark south for this week's current timber market prices update in this week's segment we're going to be looking at timber prices for the state of south carolina jonathan welcome back to Huntland. what's been happening over in south carolina and uh what data set are we going to be looking at today well thanks for having me on joe we're uh today we'll be talking about the uh second quarter 21 prices for south carolina stumpage uh, these are state averages, and for pine saw timber, had an average of 24.37. Pine chicken saw of 19.43, and pine pulpwood at nine dollars and sixty cents. So those are your pine prices. If you look over at hardwood, hardwood mixed hardwood saw timber at 23.05, and uh, hardwood pulpwood just below eleven dollars a ton at 10.99. So South Carolina is a pretty strong market pretty stable market but they're definitely active players in the in the south last time we talked about north carolina and there was a little bit of movement upwards in that market uh in both the hardwood and in pine uh how does south carolina compare to what they've been doing over the last four quarters are you seeing an uptick there as well south carolina has been pretty flat uh they they stay pretty if you rank our 11 states they're pretty pretty well in the middle of our 11 state region and they're they're pretty stable there was a slight uptick of a, a dollar and a half ton increase if you compare second quarter to the previous four quarter average uh, but overall 
you know, minimal uh, 2 to 3% changes for the product. You mentioned that stability in South Carolina. Anything going on with, with mills there that indicates more competition coming into the market? Anything new coming online? Based on our last quarter or our second quarter uh, news, it's actually pretty quiet in South Carolina. Uh, they've got a few upgrade. Camford's got a few upgrades going on uh, in Camden and Estill. Uh, but other than that, uh, no big major announcements as far as meals or anything moving into the area. Well, Jonathan, it was good to have you back on. We'll look forward to having you on again. Till the next time, stay safe out there, man. We'll talk to you soon. Yes, sir. Sounds good. Thank you. All right. Well, this week's current timber market update has been brought to you by Alabama Farmers Cooperative has been serving gardeners, farmers, and everyone in between for 85 years. Visit www.alafarm.com. Com for more information and to find a co-op near you. Well, Clint, today is a discussion that needs to be had, but it's not one that we ever want to have to have, but it's really the top ways people are losing money when they sell their land. Hopefully that's not you, but there's some things out there that need to be paid special attention to. And that's one of the things I know we pride ourselves on is being able to, to be of value to landowners and not just a you know, we're not just a cost. I mean, we're there to really help them maximize the the big pot of money at the end when they sell their land. Yeah, that's right. The stories you hate to hear is how somebody left money on the table, especially a lot of it, you know, especially when we're dealing with the kind of market that we've got right now that's so strong. Yeah. And I, and I mean, I know one of the things that a lot of times sellers, they, they feel like they've left money on the table if their property sells too fast, you know, they're like, man, we just put it on the market. We got a full price offer. And that's not always the case, but it can be. And I think the very first thing that comes to mind when I think about ways people lose money is not pricing their property accurately. What do you think about that? I mean, that's the very first thing that comes to my mind. I know when we look at a property to list for sale, we are taking into account Lots of different kinds of data. So what do you see when people are pricing things inaccurately? What are they doing wrong? Sometimes they've got the right bullseye in mind as far as where they're going to negotiate to, but they add too much fluff. You know, we're, we're going to put some negotiating room on there and they put 10, 20%. And when you've got good buyers, quality buyers, good people, and they see something that is overpriced, you know, some of these sellers think that they're going to get, well, they'll make us an offer. Well, that's true to an extent, but the, your, your good buyers, when they see something that's overpriced, they're just going to move on. They're not, they don't want to offend you. So they're just not even going to come look. So, you know, if you've got too much fluff on there, uh, that's one thing. You know, the other thing is just, you know, being too bullish and being emotional about it that, you know, just because a property has emotional value to you, which it should, and that's a good thing. That's not something that, you know, the market pays you for. Yeah, that's not something that the next person is going to readily see. And, you know, like you said, I, I, we run into that a lot, especially in markets like this, where it seems like every day you see a new sale that is essentially setting the market. You know, I mean, it's a new comp that's higher than anything else that's sold recently. So you have to be careful about that and you don't want to price your property too low, but I also see the inverse of that where they say, man, people are paying premium. So let's put it up there way high. What's the real risk in that though? Time. Sits on the market too long, gets yeah. a stigma. How many times do you get the question when somebody calls about one of your listings? Hey man, how long has it been on the market? And, yeah, often. You know, I mean, that's a very regular question. So 
people start to think, well, if it's been on the market a long time, there must be something wrong with it. And in most cases, there is nothing wrong with the property. It's just priced too high. That's right. And, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of risk and time too. I mean, you got opportunities that you missed out on while you waited to get those few extra dollars. You know, if you plan to go liquid and go into the stock market with it, the stock market doing what it's been doing in the last, you know, 12 to 24 months, while you wait for that extra 5%, you might've lost 80%. You got to understand these things, understand these risks. And then, you know, right now we've got a lot of political risk going on primarily tied to what's going to happen to the tax consequences of selling. So, you know, you sell in one tax season, so to speak, you know, you may get a capital gain or be able to do a 1031 exchange. uh, Whereas you wait until the next tax season, those opportunities may not be there anymore. And it costs you twice as much to sell it. Yeah. Let's dig into that a little bit. I think that's really the second thing is like you mentioned, not understanding those tax consequences and, and, and not having uh, a lot of times, for example, it's the other way around. You're talking about people that have waited too long to sell, so they miss out on other opportunities. But we also see that a lot of times people think they're going to have a big tax liability, so they don't sell because they're scared of that tax liability, and they miss out on a really good market like we're in right now. Yeah, that reverts back to a lot to inherited land where people don't understand their basis, and they don't understand that they got to a step up in basis when they inherited that land, uh, which is also another thing that in the political climate of today may go away. But they think, well, I inherited this land, so I have nothing in it. So I'm going to have to pay taxes on the entire proceeds, which is not the case. They're only going to have to pay taxes on the amount that is an actual gain. So if, if you inherited it at a value of $2 and you sell it for two twenty-five, then you're only going to pay taxes on that 25 cents of that capital gain where a lot of people think they're going to have to pay taxes on the whole 225. So it makes them gun shy about taking offers that, you know, based on that misunderstanding, we, we go through that a lot with people that have inherited land. You know, and talking about the, the capital gains positions that people may or may even not be in uh, is one thing. But I think another thing I see a lot is most people understand a 1031 exchange. You know, they understand that they can sell their property, and identify new properties to purchase. And then if they close on those properties within a certain time period, they can roll that money from the property they sold into that new property. But quite often I run into people who they're waiting to sell, uh, you know, because they're, they won't, they don't have anything they want to buy yet. So they don't understand a reverse 1031 exchange that they can actually put a property that they see right now under contract. And then they have the same period of time to now sell their property. So they're waiting to sell because they don't understand a reverse 1031 exchange. And that, that really comes into not understanding the tax consequences. Like you said, what else, man, what are some other common ways you're seeing people losing money? Just not understanding the market in general. They're either, again, can be too bullish. They, they hear stories or they hear that something may be coming around the bend or, you know, some new mill or new industry or new something. So they decide that they're either going to wait or they're going to price it egregiously high and use that. And those things do happen, but it's rare. And usually what happens is you have a limited reach of the effect of that, whatever it is coming in. So a new mill or airport, a uh, school, you know, the schools probably have the farthest reach of anything. Uh, and sewer, you know, if those two things are coming, then, then, you know, you need to pay attention and understand, but, but even then 
just because you're within a certain reach of it doesn't mean you're going to be the next big subdivision because usually those values will follow the sewer line more than anything for the development side. Um, but just talking more rural land, you just have to understand that each site, even though they may be in proximity to each other, are not created equal. So you've got to understand the attributes of each before you just latch on to you know some low or high value that, that that's equitable to yours. Yeah, I mean, you know, what you're talking about is a lot of times you get a, a landowner who they know about a land that's of a similar acreage to theirs. It's in basically their same area and they hear it sold for some price per acre. And they immediately say, well, if that property and that acreage is just like mine and it's sold for this price per acre, that means mine should sell for that price per acre. But they don't take into account the components of value that made up that other property's price per acre. So that property had a lake and it had a really brand new construction cabin and it had, you know, 15 high-end shooting houses on it. And there was all these improvements that had been made to the property. And then we look at the, the property that we're now talking about and it has none of those things. You can't just take a price per acre just because it's close to you and assume your property is going to be worth the same. You have to look at all those different components of value and do that same process on your property. I see that over and over and over again. And, you know, you're talking about the development potential of a property. I see that as well. You know, the folks, they, they say, well, this has got great development potential. And, but they, the way they want to price it, they're not leaving any meat on the bone for that developer, for that person who's going to come in purchase right. it, make those improvements. Well, and same thing with rural land. You may be talking about a, a flat track as a comparable sale where 100% of it's usable and your track may be hilly, wet, where not that it's not great property, but you know you may have 60% upland track or usable track with the amount of slope you've got versus the one that's sold and vice versa. If a, if a track like that sells for less, you don't want to accidentally price yours too low, not knowing any better. Yeah. And, and the other thing too, is understanding proximities. I mean, what comes into my mind is like a farmland, for example, I was looking at a property the other day and gentleman had about 30 acres that, you know, he said, look, this would be great agricultural ground. It would be great agricultural ground. I say, you're right. It would be, but right now it's a clear cut and it's got stumps and it's got, it's got good highway frontage, but there's going to have to be significant expense undertaken by someone who wants to farm this ground. So they're going to look at it as I've got to buy it, then I've got to do this to be able to farm it. But then the other thing is, if you're looking at properties around you and say, well, man, that farmland over there sold for this per acre, you don't know everything about that land. Like that may have been a piece that butted up to an, a farmer's existing property, and it's worth a lot more to him than it was to any other farmer around. And so being able to look at things and look at these comparable properties and say, is this a trend or is this an outlier? Because a lot of times we're looking at prices per acre and even in comparable sales, and there's this one that's way, way up high. And then there's this one that's way, way down low. You kind of got to take those with a grain of salt. Yeah. And speaking of farms, I mean, that gets into leases. You know, if you've got a property that's income driven, you know, like agricultural leases, and you've got a long-standing relationship with your farmer, so you've been kind of lax on your lease. You don't you don't have anything in writing, or it's only annual. Uh, and you go to sale. You know, well, if you've got an income-driven buyer, where they're looking for a long-term lease, good cap rate, uh, reasonable return. You know, they're not going to want 
to just take your word that my farmer's here for life. He's been here 10 years. He's going to stick around. They're, they're not going to be willing to pay you as much as they would if you had a formalized lease that's, you know, multi-year term, graduates with CPI or some other index to keep that income growing and keep that relationship in place. Uh, and especially one that, you know, if you can have it in there that you do have certain buyout rights that you can terminate it as a buyer or a seller. So if you've got a, a farmer that's trying to buy land and he doesn't want to have a lease driven investment, that he's got the, the opportunity to do either one. And being able to walk in, meet with a landowner like we do, advise on that, help get that stuff done, established before we come to market can make you an additional anywhere from 20 to 30%, sometimes more. Yep. And all those things are, are great for a landowner when you've got that guy and you trust them and they take good care of your property. And I've seen those kind of leases out there where like, well, he's paying me about 60% of what the going rate is for this area, but he's doing this and he's doing that. And he's, you know, he's making these improvements to the property. He keeps an eye on the place and all these other components of value to the current landowner. But if there's no lease in place that spells those things out, Though it's really hard to articulate that value because when we get the phone call, it's what is the land lease for per acre? And if it's less than what some other property is, you're fighting an uphill battle. Yeah. It's, it's just like a, you know, any other rental property, they're going to want the lowest cap rate they can get as a seller and the highest cap rate you can get as a buyer. So there's all about finding that middle ground to get to market. And the best way to do that is to have the best lease terms in place you can. Guys, let's take a quick break and hear from some of the businesses that make this show possible. When we come back, we're going to be talking about even more ways that you could lose money selling land. This week's show is brought to you by Brush Clearing Services. If you've been considering forestry mulching, don't forget, there is no substitute for horsepower. Brush Clearing Services provides high output, high production forestry mulchers from three to 600 horsepower. Smaller skid steer mulcher runtime rates may be lower, but BCS production will be two to three times more than these smaller machines. BCS prides itself on providing dependable equipment to ensure project completion is on time and under budget. Check out their full line of property and land services at brushclearingservices.com or call them at 706-718-1690. All right, before the break, we were talking about some of the things, Clint, that you and I see landowners doing wrong in the sale of their property that are costing them money. And I hate to see that, but it happens. And one of the things that I see, and it really, I don't know, it, it gets to me, but that's folks ruining the aesthetics of a property before they go to sell it. Give me some examples of what we're talking about. The easiest example for me is, is just clear cutting timber. Cause when you do that, you remove the choice of the buyer, what they want to do with the timber. And then also it just doesn't look as attractive from a recreational buyer's perspective. You typically are going to lose several hundred dollars an acre on the land value when you're trying to sell a clear cut purely because it just doesn't look as good. Second off, because they're going to have to pay to site prep and replan it. Uh, and then also, because again, you remove that choice for them. What if they didn't want to cut the timber? What if they wanted to carry it out longer and play the market? Uh, you've removed those options for them. So they're just not willing to pay as much, but you know, first and foremost is most people just don't like the look of a clear cut. Yeah. And I, you know, the flip side of that is sometimes it's appropriate to do some cutting and some thinning to make a property more attractive to the right buyer. And that gets back to understanding your market in areas that are transitioning, like we talked about, say there's a school that's been put in close. And now this area went from being predominantly timberland to 
the tracks that have good highway frontage and good access now are being more sought after as, you know, these larger residential acreages. Those types of buyers in a lot of cases are not interested as much in the, the timber value as they are in, like we talked about, the aesthetics and in the access. And also when you show that property, them being able to see it. So in some cases, a, a thinning can actually help you. I mean, we see these scenarios where timberland, you know, they go in and they do what, what some people call a residential cut, you know, very thin it down to a very, very low basal area, clean up, you know, either to go in and do forestry mulching or, you know, a chipping operation or something like that. And when you go to that track, it looks, it looks like a park. I mean, it's beautiful. You can see every corner of that acreage and people are able to really see what's there. And I know that's one of the things you talk about a lot is, and that's probably one way people lose money on land is not having good access. Like you always say, uh, you know, it's, it's like having a house with no doors. Yeah. If you got something so thick and so overgrown, the roads are washed out or don't exist to start with, people have to just guess. And then on top of that, you know, if they say, well, yes, I could hire a dozer. Yes, I could hire a forestry mulcher. They tend to hang more cost on that effort than it actually is. So dozer work, as an example, as long as you don't overdo it, every dollar you spend on dozer work has a very solid return, usually anywhere from 20 to 100%, because it makes the property easier to see. It makes the property more aesthetically pleasing. And especially, you know, if you did come in and do just a light management thin on the timber, which can help sometimes, it'll literally help you see the forest for the trees. You know, there's nothing wrong with cutting timber. It's just about not overdoing it and, and hurting those aesthetics. Then you come up, come behind that, you know, fix the roads up, shine the place up really well. Uh, it's just like a new coat of paint or, or refinishing the floors, you know, fixing the dent and that kind of things in your old car, you're trying to sell all that stuff. You're just, you're just making it that much easier and that much understandable for the buyers to, to see the value in your property. Yeah. Those examples you gave are, are really, you're, you're doing some improvements to the property right before you go to sell it. But that's another way people lose money uh, when they sell their land is over improving the property. Let's talk about that a little bit. Everybody wants to have that cabin in the woods. Everybody wants to have that lodge where they can entertain people and everybody can come up and be comfortable and, and just that showpiece. But it's not right for every piece of land. No. And probably the, when it comes to camps and lodges, two things I see happen the most that, that hurt property that people lose money on is they make it so big that it takes a very specific type of buyer to be able to utilize it. And therefore the very niche uh, opportunity to sell it to only a small group of people, or it's too big for the acreage. So it drives the price up per acre so high that it doesn't make sense to people or they, it houses too many people for the property to use. So if you've got a hundred acres that sleeps in a lodge, that sleeps 20 people. It's very rare that you're ever going to have a circumstance where you can hunt or utilize that many people on site. So you want to have a bigger uh, track, more acreage to make room for all those folks. The other thing is having multiple camps. So you've got multiple, especially multiple big camps. So, you know, I'm going to have, you know, my cabin here, my brother's there, my sister's there. Those are great concepts for you. But whenever you go to sell it, if you've got four cabins, now you're tasked with finding a buyer who can use four cabins versus one versus two versus five. So it, again, it pushes you into these corners as far as who you can sell it to after that. So you just got to be conscious of all this. 
if selling it is something that's ever going to be, you know, in your timeline as a landowner. I'm glad you talked about pushing into corners because that's really another way people lose money. Like you said, by making this improvement, you have segmented the amount of people that would buy a property like that to the point where there's there's just a limited number of buyers for that property nationally. Now, yeah. that being said, that's another way people are losing money is by not marketing that property nationally. Because if you do have a niche property and you're not advertising it nationally, and it, even if it's not a niche property, I think about right now, there's a mass exodus out of lots of states. You know, you're seeing Idaho real estate values are going through the roof because of so many people coming out of California. It's similar in, in lots of other states. So when you go and you look at local prices and you say, well, this is what these properties are selling to, to local people. If you're advertising outside of your region, outside of your area, you're now putting in your property in front of a market of people who are not prone to the same information. They, they don't look at things the same. Maybe they're coming out of a metropolitan area where they've just spent a million dollars on a well, a little house in a neighborhood. And now they're looking at your property, which is several hundred acres with a nice cabin or a nice house going, I can have all that for what I had in, <laughs> in the metropolitan area. Absolutely. So not marketing and advertising your property nationally is a great way to lose money on your property. And, you know, that's nothing against MLSs, but it locks you in. It locks you in to just, just yeah. reaching the local market. Yeah. And if you'd asked me a few years ago that we'd had this flood of city buyers, so to speak, running out to buy their piece of land because of a new pandemic that came out of nowhere, uh, you know, most people would have laughed at you. And, you know, so it's important for us to understand as land professionals that we don't always know every niche that's coming, every new market development that's coming, every new disruptor, but we always want to be able to push our marketing and push our clients' properties out to that and take advantage of anything that comes up. So, you know, having that network of agents across the country is very helpful. Having the ability to market and push these properties out across the country is helpful because it creates competition for your property that otherwise wouldn't exist. You'd be stuck dealing with the local market and the local people who more times than not, especially on stuff that's over-improved, go, well, he's crazy. He's never getting that for it and that kind of thing. And, you know, we've had a very special property, Southern Falls, that we sold earlier this year that, you know, we ran into a lot of that from local feedback, but we had a buyer come out of Virginia and South Florida who looked at it and said, oh my God, this is amazing. This is a fantastic deal and jumped all over it. We basically paid full price for it. And, you know, without that broad coverage, we had never reached that person or their family for them to see that, you know, same thing with, with a lot of these higher end properties that we sell across the country. You've just got to be able to cast a wide net and if you don't, you're going to lose money. Yeah. When it comes to advertising these properties nationally, you know, we talked about it a little bit when we said, you know, ruining the aesthetics of a property can be a way you lose money. But another way is by not having your media to the level that it makes an impact to these people that are searching nationally. I mean, if you can't articulate the value of a property like Southern Falls, for example, with unbelievable photography and you know, 360 degree drone tours and where somebody in Virginia or South Florida or on the West coast can basically figure out and see what's really there 
before they get on a plane in most cases and fly in and look at that property, they're just not going to dig very much deeper if they can't find out a lot of that information online. So not putting the effort in on, and, and what that means is not spending the money on getting good media, good photography and making sure the property shows well can cost you money. I mean, you spend a little bit, you know, in the beginning by not spending that you could take a big loss. Yeah. I mean, my goal when, you know, in properties like that is when my, our buyers get in the town to come see it is they've seen it so well through our marketing that they're really only there to pick out which bedroom is theirs. Yeah. And I, I thought it was really cool track you and I just sold here recently. Uh, you know, we actually had the, the seller actually requested that they be able to keep the pictures that we took and the photography that we did. They wanted to have it as a keepsake because it was so impressive and so good. They wanted to be able to look back on that, those memories they had on that property and, and remember it that way. So that, that said a lot too. Well, you got that buyer, you've got that interested party, and now they've come in, they're ready to make an offer. Man, how much money gets lost at the negotiate table? Because you don't have someone who's a skilled negotiator in your corner, or you just don't have anybody in your corner and you're trying to do the negotiations yourself. It makes such a difference to have some to have a layer between you and the buyer. Yeah, that insulation can really make you a lot more money and save you a lot of stress. Um, you know, many people, especially if it's family property or property they've developed themselves, have a lot of emotional attachment, a lot of emotional value tied to it. So when you get into negotiations, the emotions well up and that can kill a sale if you let it. And so, you know, part of our job is help people achieve their goals of selling, not leave any money on the table, but also not let a sale implode either. So just be honest, guide them, you know, be practical about things. If you've got to negotiate, you've got to counter, then do it in a method that you can explain that value to the buyer. So say, look, this is how we're responding and why. It's not just a, here's his response and with no explanation, because that's combative. That doesn't help negotiations. All, even when you're dealing with the buyer, even if we're representing the seller, I try to come to the table with logic. You know, here's why we are where we are. And the buyer disagrees. That's okay. We still work to find that happy middle ground to, to get there, you know, where a lot of people's negotiating tactics is either be combative to the point that it kills a deal or just go into split the difference mode to where everybody's just doing that, trying to finally settle out. And, you know, not that that never works, but it, it doesn't really help anybody because nobody understands why they landed where they landed. They don't understand the value breakdown and knowing how to come into that and do it skillfully is paramount and making sure you don't lose money. You don't want to go into that negotiation with it being your first negotiation. No, that's something that you want to have somebody in your corner that's doing this, that's well-practiced at it. They can read what people are saying, read between the lines. Also having that confidence too. I mean, I see a lot of sellers that they're just ready to take the offer that they get because they're scared that that person's going to go away. And having somebody in your corner that can also coach you to have a confidence to make that counter offer because you know your pricing is accurate you know what your value is and you know that if it doesn't work out with that buyer, it, it'll work out with another one because the market is good and, and you've got things in order to be able to sell that property. Confidence is, is a big, big thing that's missing from a lot of those negotiations. And even if you're just selling to a family member, you're not going to list it. You're not going to sell it. You're not going to market it. You know, I get hired a lot to come into family situations 
to help people divide land that want to get along and they don't want to fight. They don't want to get in an argument or sometimes they're already fighting and in arguments and I'm there to, to be the referee. But my job is to help negotiate agreeable ground from a logical position for everybody to, so that everybody can still have Thanksgiving and Christmas together without still being mad about what happened 10 years ago when you stole that land from me or you, you know, whatever <laughs> hey, story. I mean, but it, it, we laugh, but I mean, it happens. I mean, hey, it's, these, it's, these things become big problems within families that can carry bad blood forever. Yeah. So we, we do, a, I deal a lot with a lot of private estate divisions. We'll come in, we're basically hired as a, as a consultant. We're still a broker and we still represent people but we help them find agreeable ground and make sure that everybody is, is compensated fairly that understands why things are where they are price wise, term wise, boundary line wise, whatever the case may be, we're there to help, you know, get that done peacefully and from a, a good position for the whole family. Everything you're talking about and everything we've talked about up to this point, not pricing your property accurately, not understanding your cons- your tax consequences, not understanding the market that you're in, not only in terms of the time, but also the location, not having good leases in place, messing up your aesthetics before you go to sell, over-improving the property, not marketing the property widely enough nationally, not having somebody that can negotiate for you and do it well in a way that gets the deal done. All these things are attributes of a land professional as long as that land professional is working within your location. And that is, that's probably the number one thing that I see people losing money, selling their land is by not hiring number one, a land professional. And number two, somebody that's a land professional in their area. I mean, we don't go into the residential markets and try to sell houses because that's not our expertise. That's right. Same thing with us, you know, the beach market, things like that. I don't, I don't sell condos, I sell land. Uh, we've got a great network of other agents that, that if somebody comes to me, I've got a seller that says, hey, when I get out of this, I need a condo, want a condo, then I know who to, who to refer them to. Same thing with, with residential homes, but it's all we do is land. And, you know, the downside of, of real estate is we've all got the same license, but we're not all the same level of experts in each niche. So it's important that you deal with somebody that is a true professional in that niche, in that market, not in three states away, because they all change. And, you know, it's important to be dealing with somebody that if they don't know something, they'll be honest with you and tell you that. And either they go find out uh, or they refer you to the right person to deal with. That's the measure of a real professional is if they're willing to forego trying to get some income to take the best care of the client. They're trying to make sure that their best interests are at heart and they'll go find that right person. I mean, it's just like, you know, I'm not an expert at selling poultry farms. That's just not my, that's not my niche. If that were to happen, there'd be someone within national land that I'd push that person to. That's all they do. (laughs) That's all they do. That's all they do, you know? And that's, what's been so cool about seeing the team grow at national land is that we've got professional in every state, just about that is focus solely on land. And then even within land, we've got people that are focused on these niches like poultry farms, for example. And that's really what you need to do. You need to reach out to somebody because, you know, a lot of times folks, they want to avoid paying for something and avoid a a commission, for example, 
but they're being penny wise and pound foolish because they they don't take into account all these other things that we've talked about that if they're consulting with the right person the land professional is going to more than earn their commission they're going to be of value not just a cost that's right i mean our job is to be an asset to the transaction create value and drive the return for our client well clint i know we tried to cover everything that uh, you know we we could think about that are ways we see people losing losing money but i mean the long and the short of it is a, a land sale is a pretty complicated transaction from start to finish and every situation is unique so without the opportunity to talk to people about their situation and understand the challenges that they may have in front of them. And it may be one of these things we talked about, or it may, it may not be, maybe something we didn't, we didn't hit on here. We can't solve that problem for them. You know I mean? So, I mean, folks, if y'all heard something here that resonates with you and just reach out to us, we'd be happy to talk to you. It doesn't matter what part of the country you're in. Uh, we can point you in the right direction with somebody who is in your area and get you taken care of where they're a part of, national land or not you know just reach out to us let us know what challenges you're facing in, in selling your property we'd love to hear from you appreciate you joining us we want to make it easy for you to listen so here's a handy option for you to get the podcast emailed to you each week just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377 again just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377 you'll join our email list and wherever you are listening to podcasts, go ahead, subscribe, rate, and review. Send us a written review. We'd love to hear from you. If you got a show topic that you are interested in and like to see us cover, just email us at pros at landhunting.com. That's going to do it for us. Y'all stay safe out there. We'll talk to you next time. This week's Hunt Land Podcast has been brought to you by MB Ranch King. Save time and money when you buy MB Ranch King's maintenance-free hunting blinds. Call Kevin for info or quotes. 205-807-2937. MB Ranch King. Built in the pursuit of perfection. And also Pyramid Air. At Pyramid Air, they believe air guns are for everyone. From big game hunting to fun trigger time to firearm training. Big selection, fast shipping, the air gun experts. Find out more at PyramidAir.com. And also brought to you by Southern Seed and Feed. Do you want to provide better nutrients for your deer? Check out Southern Buck. Your deer will love it. Visit their website at SouthernSeedFeed.com or call 662-726-2638 to find the dealer nearest you. And also, The Hunting Exchange. Buy and sell your hunting gear securely online. PayPal-protected purchases, no hidden charges, listings are free. Head over to the App Store or Google Play and download The Hunting Exchange app today. And also brought to you by Farm Credit of Northwest Florida. For over 100 years, they've helped people just like you explore your options so you can apply with confidence and get started living your dream in the country. Check them out at GoRural.net or give them a call at 855-GO-RURAL. And also brought to you by Photonis Defense is proud to offer the PD Pro line of night vision systems. These ultralight, ultra-compact night vision systems deliver the cleanest image, best resolution, smallest, most transparent halo, and best overall performance and function of any night vision system available. Check them out. Photonis Defense, Masters of Darkness. And also brought to you by Bucks Island Marine. They have new pontoon boats, bass boats, bow riders, and aluminum boats for sale. They provide boat service on all kinds of boats, even if they weren't purchased from Bucks. You can visit them at 4500 Highway 77 in Southside, Alabama, or give them a call at 256-442-2588.